What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Pearl Hole Podcast. Today, we have a really dope, dope episode with Oscar Sinclair. I'm so excited to have them on. We are talking about surviving quarantine, what that looks like, specifically if you were in a poly relationship before all of this madness happened. So I just want to start out by introducing Oscar because they are so, so, so radically just doing dope shit in the sex space. So Oscar Sinclair is a tough, mushy, soft, gender queer femboy. Like I'm totally reading their bio because it's so dope. <laughs> An emerging creative and educator, Oscar wishes to speak of negritude, of largeness, sex, queerness, love, and radical sex positivism. So here they are, an advocate. Here they are, centering young people, puckish, malleable, aspiring to wholesomeness, amusing in all the ways you're grateful for. Catch them running around Brooklyn, slinging dildos and safer sex materials, doing God's work. <laughs> Welcome, Oscar. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It is uh, a pleasure to be here, specifically on the topic we're touching on today, When you reached out and asked, I said, yes, I need somebody to hear me out because it's hard. It's hard. (laughs) (laughs) It it has been so hard. Like, I swear I was looking at like a dating app today and someone was like, do you want to cuddle? Like, are you coming over? And I was like, no, absolutely not. And then today I feel so weak. I'm like, but should I? Can I risk? Can I risk my life for this one day? <laughs> no, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. But I'm so excited to have you on because I, you know, the backstory on this is I was watching this like community live about quarantine and different people were sharing their stories on like how they're surviving sexually and treating their bodies and pleasure and all of that stuff during quarantine and how it shifted. And one of the people speaking. She was specifically saying she was in a poly. She was she wanted to be polyamorous. She had never embarked on this kind of journey before. And the person that she was talking to had no interest in being poly. They were monogamous. And um, someone commented and saying that they were also poly and how quarantine has has forced them inevitably to be monogamous if they are living with one one person, one partner. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about your story, your relationships, your what Polly looks like for you and how you're dealing with all of that during quarantine. Got you. Uh, I just want to first and foremost say before we jump into all of it that I refuse to let COVID force me into monogamy for better and for worse. So <laughs> that comes with its own issues. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Stay strong. We're trying. We're trying. <laughs> So do you want to tell us a little bit? So what is your what does your poly look like? What does that look like for you? How are you defining it? Okay. So uh, my poly situation right now is that I have two primary partners, one man and one gender nonconforming person. And then I so I also operate on a hierarchy. So within that, they are my top priorities. And then I have sometimes auxiliary partners. So people that I see casually and that wanes, that ebbs and flows. So sometimes I might have um, one auxiliary person that I'm seeing, or sometimes I might have two or three, but then at the end of it, there's nothing, there's no perception of it becoming anything other than a casual situation. So that's how I'm operating. Okay. Got it. So you have two primary and do you live with one of your primary partners? 
I do. I live with the man. Uh, we've been together for five years and we've been living together for almost three now. So when uh, the situation essentially started, when the conversation about social distancing happened, I was in Brooklyn with my other partner, who's the non-binary person. And I had spent about a week there and the partner that I lived with was asking, well, when are you coming home? Or the reality was that I was supposed to have gone home, but I had overstayed my uh, overstayed being in Brooklyn by about a week. And so I was torn because I really wanted to be with um, uh, this partner. But then I, it was the notion of being respectful and understanding boundaries. So I went back to Jersey and I was there for about 21 days. And within that 21 days, my relationship with the partner I lived with was getting stronger. And my relationship with my partner in Brooklyn was getting uh, challenged significantly. Yes, the conversations of how can I be your primary two when you've made the decision to be with him and I I feel really lonely and I'm essentially by myself and you don't necessarily understand what that means for me. And I my justification or validation of it was that I'm I'm trying. So um so then it was just the notion of we were trying. So my partner in Brooklyn and I would text almost every day or we would FaceTime almost every day. But the reality is that it's difficult for me when I'm not in a presence with a person to want to text and want to FaceTime. So I wasn't the one starting the conversation. So brought up the argument of why am I the one always initiating and like, are you like, I need you to understand the decisions that you have made have centered your male partner and I need you to acknowledge that so I can understand how to move. And then that became challenging for me because I didn't want to remove that language. I thought that even as I was living in Jersey city, I was trying the best that I could to center both relationships. And that wasn't showing uh, I wasn't showing at all, essentially. Right. Yeah. And especially if that's if even the texting or initiating conversations, if that's not kind of how you typically communicate, if you're used to always being in contact with this person, in physical contact, I'm sure it can feel kind of foreign to have to switch to another entire means of communicating. Yes, one that I um, yeah <laughs> right. That's so true. Like I know a lot of people really hate texting or calling or FaceTiming. Like that's just not <laughs> their vibe. So then you're kind of you know faced with the challenge of how can we you know keep the interaction going. But did you ever have you considered maybe splitting your time? Like you've been in quarantine now in Jersey City for X amount of time. Would your partner in Jersey City be okay with you now going to Brooklyn and spending like the same amount of time there? Or is it just kind of like understood that your 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 base is Jersey City? Says, let me tell you, I'm currently in Brooklyn. Um <laughs> so <laughs> So this sharing, uh, spend, sharing where I spend my time definitely happened. Originally, it was that um, because we had spent so much time apart, at some point, my partner, the male partner, agreed to have like my other partner come over to Jersey. So initially it became a how we transport, how are we transporting or how are we, uh, 
commuting. How are we commuting so we're not putting ourselves at risk and we're not putting other people at risk, right? So that was like the biggest issue. And at some point in time, uh, the partner that lives in Brooklyn got a car. And so that kind of helped the situation a bit. So once they got the car, I talked to my partner in Jersey about them coming to spend the weekends with me in the shared space. And the first weekend, it was it was messy. Um, because your two primary partners, they do not interact, correct? I mean, they they know of each other. They are cordial or like essentially used to be. They um, they follow each other on Instagram. It's not like they're, sh- they're acquaintances. That's the okay. best way to put it, right? They're not friends. They don't have to be. But there's the notion that you, the expectation for me is that y'all respect each other. So the, the three of you, to be clear, to listen, the three of you are not involved to all together in a poly no, relationship. No, this is not a triad. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the first weekend you said was a little rocky. It, it was rocky because um, I'm trying to give all my attention to the partner that had traveled to come and see me, this partner that I hadn't seen in about three weeks. And uh, I, I did not do pre-care for my male partner. So when um, my other partner came, there was a lot of, how do I, this is my home, right? Where do I go if you are with your partner in a space that belongs to me as well? You know, if I'm in the living room and then y'all come to the living room, I, I, I want to be a part of this, but it's also not my place to be a part of it. So how do I, do I converse with you? Am I taking up space? Do I go downstairs to another room? Do I go into my bedroom? And so what was also fortunate for um, me at the time was that we had a spare room open. And so I kind of essentially made that my room for my other partner and I. I see. Yeah. So we spent a lot of time in that room because I want I wanted to kind of mitigate that discomfort my male partner was feeling. But then there are times when we'd be in the kitchen cooking and then he'd be in the living room. And so he'd be able to see us and kind of felt like um, being a third wheel on your own in a relationship that you are very much uh, a part of. And on like your own territory. Right. Yeah. So um when my partner left after the weekend, I we had a conversation about that and I kind of let them know that, you know, there was a lot of heaviness and what can we do to kind of include you more, to make you not feel so left out? What does aftercare look like? What does pre-care look like? How can I take care of you before they get here so that you feel less jealous, less um, whatever emotions are coming up for you? and it essentially just became that his love language is quality time. And so it'd be uh, for the, for the week, even though we were working, we're both working from home. Now we'd find ways to kind of interact with it. We're watching something together. Uh, he's sharing something with me, uh, or maybe trying to cook together, just spending more time. And then even when um, my other partner comes allowing space for conversation or knowing that if we're here, you don't have to like go away. You can very much be here because, you know, you are very much a part of my life. So we started doing essentially like kind of family dinners where we'd cook and then we'd all eat together. And that kind of felt good. But then the there's there's no resolution in what do I do with 
my jealousy? What do I do with this heavy feelings of maybe being replaced or not being good enough or just wanting your attention too? Those are things that I can never um, do for either of them. And it's something that's very, it's an internal process that they have to go through. But then I'm on the outside seeing kind of the effects that it's having and just feeling really guilty. So it was kind of hard to even enjoy myself because I was thinking about how both of them are feeling. How how does how does my non-binary partner feel that I'm thinking about my other partner whilst we're trying to have time together? Or feeling that no matter what I do, I center my male partner in even my relationship with them, you know? Yeah. I mean, I was, my thoughts are, first of all, I'm like, damn, Oscar has so much power in this situation. You are able to navigate, like, you literally have your two partners under the same roof and they're not even fucking with each other, right? Yeah, they were. That's the crazy part. But then, you know, when, when like Corona hits and time spent changes and trying to figure out who, who really is a primary comes into the conversation, People who were cool are no longer cool. Right. And like with that power becomes great responsibility. And so I, that's a great question that I actually had that you just brought up is so you said, you know, you have two primary partners, but has this time, has it highlighted that maybe one is more primary than the other? Or does it depend on who you're living? Like you're in Brooklyn now. So does this partner in Brooklyn feel like they are more primary than the person in Jersey City? Or is it always, are you trying to keep that equilibrium the same despite where which location you're in? That is so difficult, right? Um, and I think that it, it transcends just the notion of like physical space right now because um, on one hand, right, my queerness is in tandem with my blackness, right? Sometimes I'm like, which do I love more? And then for me, it became a, you cannot love one more, one identity more because they are interlaced with each other just at the very core. And so being queer and having a queer partner fulfills me in a very specific way. You know, it just, it like, it lights up so many aspects of my existence, right? It makes me feel more African. It makes me feel more black, just, I actively enjoy being queer and being in a queer relationship feels like I just can't explain it. It feels amazing. Right. And so in that ways, my queer partner gets so much of my love, queer, like my love, care, attention. At the same time, I've been with my male partner for five years, you know, and that is five years of, going through so many identities. When I met him, I had just changed my name from Patricia to Oscar. So he met me at my very, like the budding of my existence as like trying to figure myself out, right? Entering into a space of self-love. So he was there. He helped me work through so many processes. He helped me see myself in so many different ways. I have grown with him. I have loved with him. I have cried with him. And so that is five years that I cherish, hold, so much. And so because of that, my love is also rooted in a very specific way. And so it's like, um, these things kind of clash, you know, what is, what is feeding me more the duration that I have had in one relationship or the fact that another relationship is just an integral aspect of my identity. And to be honest, and this is where I want to be very real with even myself. I want to acknowledge that sometimes Often the queer relationship wins. Mm. Yeah. 
That's interesting because I feel like the way that you were describing your queer relationship and your Africanness is speaking to like just existing within those two in itself is a resistance, right? Against a lot of oppressive systems. And so I'm sure that that feels so powerful that just by existing with this person, you are making your own political statement, right? You are like truly (laughs) like changing the world, honestly. Changing my world. And it's like, um, what what kind of being with this person, I thought I told myself that I would always be in the closet as it pertains to my parents, that, you know, my closet is like a changing room. I come in and out and I present myself to the world in a way that feels safe to me and for me. But then I entered into this relationship and I'm like, damn, I, I think it's time to come out to my parents. Right. And so I did that. And my mom was very much she accepted. It. She was um she handled it more than I thought she would. She told me that I still love you, I still care about you, but you can't be gay. You know, you just can't do this. And so I only told her about that aspect of my queerness. She wasn't even ready to like handle like my own conversations with gender. To her, it's like I have a queer, I have a gay daughter who's in a polyamorous relationship and this needs to end. So her was like, I need you to kind of break up with your queer partner and focus on your relationship with the man, you know, because that's what's okay. We made a pact that we neither of us would tell my dad because it would just utterly destroy him if he found this out right so even when i wanted to come out i'm essentially like forced to remain in this yeah and so whilst i am understanding that it just felt even more healing to have that conversation with my mom to see the way she interacted with it and then come back and actually be able to still be in a relationship that i'm very much for that i was willing to make like this, this, not even a sacrifice, but to change my life or to change the course of my life for. Um, and so I, I, I was going somewhere with this, but I definitely forgot the question that you asked. I just got so into that. No, it's okay because I'm listening and it's interesting because I feel like you're saying that it feels more like your queer relationship often wins, right? For you and it changes your world. But then for society and for people who are judgmental or not ready to accept that queerness, the, the straight quote unquote, the hetero relationship is going to win in other ways. So it's like both, both relationships seem like they have, they, they're going to shift in their power and how it applies to your life. If that makes any sense. Definitely. And I think I hate that because one of the biggest conversations I tend to have with myself internally is, is my male partner my my beard or is he what protects me from the violence that comes with being queer right and and unfortunately again being very real with myself to an extent he is but that's not his purpose in my life like I'm genuinely with him because I love him and I want to continue to grow myself and us as a unit with him right and And even that has been challenged because now I'm in a space where even though I'm talking about how important this queer relationship is to me, um, my partner, my queer partner was telling me how like when shit really hit the fan, I chose my male partner over them, right? Because it was, uh, where are you going to, at some point in time, a conversation came up about where it was, if you're coming to see me, because we talked about the spending time, I do two weeks in Brooklyn, two weeks in Jersey. And as time was like arriving for me to go to Brooklyn, 
they told me that, you know, it's not safe. This was before they got a car. So they were saying that if you come to Brooklyn for the purposes of my safety, your safety and everybody else's, you need to stay with me. Right. And I'm generally a person who's like, don't give me ultimatums. It's never going to end well. And Ron, this was essentially an ultimatum. And it was an ultimatum that was difficult because in as much as I want to, yes, stay with you, I cannot because I also want to be with, I don't want to. And it, the, it also felt indefinite. You're going to have to like stay with me until like this whole Corona situation gets better. And we are in what month now? And so what would it look like that I'm with you until December? And so staying with you for that extended amount of time just felt like I don't want to go that long without seeing my male partner. I can't. Right. And so the, the conversation became, it's either you come and you stay or you don't come at all. And I said, then I'm, I guess I can't come at all. And I'm really sorry about that. So then it became a, ah, you say you care about me and you say I'm your primary, but when it really came down to it, when the difficult decisions had to be made, you chose him and not us. And so whilst I thought that before the whole pandemic, I had been giving a lot of time, a lot of energy to my career relationship. And I thought that that was what was necessary and needed, necessary and good. What they needed was for me to show that when things are really rough, when we enter into an apocalyptic state, that I'm looking out for our relationship. And what I essentially did in their eyes was go focus on my straight relationship. So that was something that even to this time, even as we're, I am back in Brooklyn, this was something that we had to process. This was things that we had to forgive ourselves and forgive each other for, because, you know, things were said, um... (laughs) conversations came up afterwards right where you know it was just heavy and it kind of felt like wow our relationship is going to dissipate because of corona and not even because of corona because of the decisions we've had to make within corona and me thinking that I'm trying my best because I was adamantly fighting I will figure out a way to do them both I want to do two weeks in Jersey and two weeks in Brooklyn I'm going to fight for that and in both of their minds, that wasn't realistic, right? So I'm showing that even when things are hard, being poly means that the either you're going to be in a state of not being realistic, you know, because you're fighting for, like, you're seeking pleasure when important decisions need to be made, or when you do make the important decisions, one person is going to be very hurt, or more than one person, because the ramifications of me choosing one partner was that I felt like I was constantly paying for it in my other relationship, which then moved me emotionally into that chip, which meant that even though I was very much physically with my partner in Jersey, that my mind wasn't there. My heart wasn't fully there. Right. I mean, to give you, you know, this is the first time that that we are dealing with a situation, a world situation pandemic like this. So I think that it's it's you know, not unusual that we are struggling with how to maintain relationships. And even if it's friendships or family relationships, all of that communication is like pretty new to us. And and like you said, we don't know how long this is going to last. Um, And your safety, your safety is really important. I could understand how one partner would feel like, wow, so now you're coming back to me. I don't know what you were doing for the last two weeks. Were you safe? Were you wearing masks? Was your partner wearing masks? And then now you're coming here and perhaps endangering my health. So I understand 
understand all of those those conversations. But alas, you are in Brooklyn now. And are you staying there for the two weeks? Are you still on this two week on, two week off? Or is it just now like going with the flow or what does that look like? So I've been here for two weeks. I'm going to be here for one more week. And then I head back to Jersey for two weeks. And so we are... I, we are attempting to do some version of the two week on and two week off. But something that I promised myself is that, you know, I have to have come, I'm essentially having three conversations. I have to have a conversation with each partner and then I have to have a conversation with myself. And one thing that I guess we sometimes kind of forget in relationships as we're trying to make everything work is what we need at the core of it. And ultimately, and as much as I love both partners very dearly, but you love I yourself love more. <laughs> yes. And so um, the decision to be here for three weeks, to be in Brooklyn for three weeks came from, all right, sure, I could be here for two weeks, but do I feel ready to leave? And so at the end of the week, I realized that, no, I'm not ready to leave. And so I'm going to stay here until I'm essentially ready. Even if that hurts the other partner, I just need them to understand that I'm moving for me. And so when I get back to Jersey, it's going to be, well, time to kind of see what the what the consequences of me staying here for three weeks have been for my partner, what care looks like, and what he needs from me to feel secure. Well, and I think that's what you said, like you caring for you is really what the foundation of your poly relationship is. Because if not, perhaps it you would be in a monogamous relationship, but you are caring for parts of yourself that need love from these two people simultaneously. So it's like that respect has to be maintained regardless if there's a pandemic that you have to always stay true to what feels good to you and that your partners have that understanding. And um, I'm sure it's difficult for all people involved. Like you said, there are so many dynamics here. Like honestly, Oscar, the fact that you're, <laughs> that you're dealing with this and like working full time as a teacher, like, like shout out to you and and navigating two different personalities and, and people. I'm over here just trying to manage one whole human myself and I'm like barely hanging on by thread. <laughs> but then at the end of the day, I don't think that I would ever trade any of it to be monogamous, you know? I, I totally understand it. But you also and we're speaking about like masturbation and that's like a huge part of my practice right now and being alone. Um, so I'm monogamous with myself at this moment. <laughs> um, but you had said that masturbation is one of like your COVID coping mechanisms. And so, but it's, you said it's affecting one of your dynamics. So which, so, okay, first of all, you know, I am like the biggest advocate for masturbation. I think it's incredibly important to understand what you like, to understand the depths and, and capabilities of your own pleasure and communi that, communicating that to a partner. But I want to know what you mean by it's kind of affecting one of your dynamics. How is it affect, is it affecting it negatively, strengthening it? What does that look like? So um, a little context, I'm also very much an advocate for masturbation. And one of the things that masturbation does is essentially like show you what you like. And uh, because I work as a sex educator, the, the thing that I have discovered is that I like the idea and theory of sex more than the actual act of it, right? So I enjoy thinking about the anatomy and the processes of what's happening during sex. I like talking to other people about sex. I like helping them with whatever hangups that they might have about sex and I will do that freely now because of like you know 
maybe the body that I was born into and the ways in which it has been like objectified and sexualized, sex for me is um, not something that I'm, there's a layer of asexuality to me, right? And so I don't always, I don't necessarily like enjoy sex. What makes sex good for me is if I have an emotional connection with a partner, so demisexuality, right? And even within that, it's just rooted in like the emotionality of it, me feeling very connected to a partner. And at the end of the day, as beautiful as that is, sex with myself has always given me the most pleasure. And so I have always prioritized masturbation. Now that looks like having an array of toys that goes into my practice. And now that we are in a space where um, a lot of things are heightened, what I'm falling back on is masturbating more than I usually would. Would I call it an addiction? No, because, you know, I'm still employed and doing what I need to outside of it. And um, something that I'm not always good at is bringing my partners into my masturbation, right? I will, I'm down for us to play sexually, like I'm down to give what you would like, but then afterwards I want to fall back and do my own thing. And sometimes doing my own thing isn't always, isn't always inclusive or thoughtful of my partners. I just want to get off. Whereas they would want to be a part of it. And so now that you're entering into a space where that is consistently a thing, being in bed with a partner, being in bed with me and me wanting to use my toys and me actively orgasming without them, or even when I'm playing at some point in time, I just want to jump into masturbation essentially difficult for them because it's a it's a notion of being disconnected right being disconnected from like a a relationship where like sex was very much one of the biggest ways we connected uh within like my non-binary partner sex was very much one of like the best ways that we communicated and connected and so this pandemic has even shifted that because of the ways it has affected us emotionally, there's been a bit of reservations in the ways in which we're able to connect sexually. So we're working through that process. And as we're working through that process and new things coming up within that constantly, it's kind of difficult to maybe see me doing my own thing and not thinking about us as a sexual unit or even thinking about their needs as much as a sexual need, as a sexual unit, because I'm just trying to like, stay sane. And for me, staying sane is like just coming however much I need to. Even today, before this happened, we had to have a conversation about it, realizing that I'm not, that I'm not replacing them. And so the conversation has shifted from that to be, to becoming a conversation about, I need you to be connected with me, or I need you to, to initiate intimacy. That's not sex. And I would like to feel that we have we have aspects of our sex life still present that is not dominated by your need to masturbate. And so that I they also do not want to feel like they're being used by me when they participate in me masturbating. And masturbation is not like a very pertinent part of their practice. It's more so no. just yes, okay. I see. So their so their physicality and sexual um, pleasure comes from interacting with you solely as opposed to masturbation, but it's not the same for you. I think we've gotten to a place where um, there was a balance where there was a way for me to masturbate or incorporate my toys into our sex play. But now we are in a space where like 
the sex that we used to have has changed because of because of the hurt that came up related to the decisions we've had to make in the in past weeks and past months and so there's like a foreignness to us and we're also like also dealing with our own things like i oh my god i gained i gained a bit of weight in quarantine i'm not gonna lie and so i'm in a space where i'm acknowledging this weight gain and loving my body still and not shaming myself which comes like with its own thing right because i've always been a big person but um now seeing seeing myself constantly because there's nowhere to go so it's doing a lot there and um so there's like wanting to connect with my body in a very specific way and them going through their own body things too and so having body issues interact with the ways in which our sex isn't interacting and then layering it on with the like with like the icing on the cake just being that like you would rather you would rather prioritize masturbating in a way that did not include me and even that's not an issue right it's just the the added layer of i feel like i'm a set an addition they I like them feeling like they're just an additional sex toy that I'm using to get off versus a, a partner with their own like emotionality and sexual needs, if that makes sense. Right. And it sounds like for you right now, like masturbation is the place it, that kind of feels the safest for you right now, at least like the safest in your own body that describing what you're saying that you're kind of going through this transition. Um so it may be difficult for them to accept that, that maybe like yourself, your home, your own home body right now is kind of like where you need to focus the most. Um, yeah, which is, you know, difficult for someone and for someone else, maybe who quarantine feels like the time that they want to be together all the time. I think that that is um it's difficult for some people, I think, who are in spaces with other people, but not realizing that <laughs> in order to appreciate togetherness or connectedness, you also have to understand separateness. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> like you need the balance. You need yeah. both. Wow. So but I'm assuming you've I know how brilliant you are and I'm assuming that you've had these conversations so that there is probably some some working through this that you both are doing together. Definitely. Um, we 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 have lots of space in the sense that they're an essential worker, so they still have to go to work. And so for a good amount of the day, I get to be alone with myself. And um, I guess the issue is just an, another thing that's been coming to light is that the ways in which sensuality looks for each of us is different. Like I'm realizing that I'm a sexual being, not necessarily a sensual being. And they are very much more sensual than sexual. And actually there's a good balance of both when they have like spaces and times when they're very sexual, but then at the core of them, there's sensuality. And for me, that is, um, that is kind of foreign. And so this is also like a realization that because this relationship is important to me and because the just them being happy and us feeling connected to each other, I will have to learn how to be more, be more sensual with them. 
Yeah. Sensual so like, in touch and emotion and intellect and all of the above or more and so are in physical connection are you referring? So more so like the physicality of it, right? Or just the um, things that they brought up is like, uh, touch me, touch me in a way that's not sexual, right? Flirt with me. And for my thing is, if I kiss you in the forehead, that's sensuality, right? That's intimate. If I if I hug you, that's intimate and se- sensual, right? But then those are also like really cute PG and that they're probably like, Okay, this is nice. And 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 what else? What else do you have? And for me, it becomes a that's it. Do you think your reservation or hesitation comes from, like, for me, any time that I have difficulty being sensual with another person, it's usually because a lack of vulnerability. Like, I, uh, I hit a like a brick wall. There's a boundary there where I'm just kind of like, oh, like some of this. For me, a lot of sensuality is connected to vulnerability and trust. But it sounds like you have the trust there with this person. So what what do you think your barriers are to sensuality? Is it vulnerability? Is it a, is it a lack of trust or intimacy? What do you equate it to? Nah, there's lots of trust and vulnerability in the relationship. At the very core of it, it just goes back into like self-perceptions. Like um, I spend 20 plus years of my life not feeling sexy or desirable, right? So I really wasn't out here trying to flirt with anybody. And I guess I was always just waiting for somebody to find me desirable, waiting for somebody to flirt with me, waiting for somebody to want me, right? So I think that even as that is shifting, even as I'm entering to spaces where people are letting me know I am desirable, that mindset hasn't changed. So I'm still in this like waiting, like if you show me, that you want me, I will interact, right? I will like start and I will continue, start and I will end, but I will not start. I feel like that is, that is honestly the narrative for a lot of Black women. I feel like I can relate to that wholeheartedly of like always feeling undesirable for a, a big portion of my life and still seeing how that trauma affects me in current day relationships and having to step back when I realize like, wow, I only engage with our, or I only like people who like me. And so it feels like it feels easy and safe to just reciprocate as opposed to initiate. And, you know, I think that it's, it's, so much of the work is in healing that bullshit and those experiences that have shaped my sexuality into into thinking that I'm not desirable or wanted. And it's just, I really, I see it. It's like, it takes an extreme amount of trust and um, to let go of the fear of not, of just the interaction and the intimacy not being reciprocated for me to even feel comfortable to engage in like sensual behavior that's non-sexual because sexual sexuality i think that i can i've i've worked on how i can use sex as my own power right but like sensuality is a really is a whole other different level of um of being personal right and oh my god and you talked about specifically as being like a black woman and and like just like how that is a through line an unfortunate through line of blackness being objectified being sexualized but not being perceived as desirable and having our features being put onto whiteness in order for it to be accepted right so just that running theme and i think it's uncomfortable because i am in two not one but two relationships where there's safety where i am desired where i'm loved thoroughly but i can't even bring myself still to want to like to be sensual right it is uncomfortable and it just speaks to like 
it sucks now because we are now adults who have to go do so much work in healing what happened in our youth. But then it's also an opportunity for a, like not even a larger conversation because I'm kind of tired of like this. We should be talking about it. I think at this point we should just be doing like affirming the beauty in young people, specifically like black children, right? Not in a way that is um, predatory, but just letting them know their value so that, you know, they're not my age and above still trying to figure out if they're good enough. I know it's, and so, but how do we, how do we, what is, what are the steps to doing this? Is it by doing, like you said, it's by doing. So is it by doing by example? What, how, how can we, can we kind of create this world for them so that they know sooner and earlier in their lives? I'm thinking about my sister. She is 16 right now. And uh, like three years ago or a few years ago, she, she has a gap. And the doctor, the dentist was like, yo, we can close this gap for you if you'd like. And so my mom comes and asks the family, should we close the gap? And I say, of course, fix that. And and she's like, yes, please fix my gap. I don't want it. It makes me ugly, right? And my mom is like, no, we're not fixing your gap. My mom had a gap. And you, I named you after my mom. And there's nothing wrong with having a gap. So we're, it's there. And she was so frustrated with it. And I just felt sorry for her at that time. I was like, darn, they should have really fixed your gap, right? Now, she's now in a space where I'm actively like, yo, I'm so jealous you have a gap. I think it's so cool. It makes you so beautiful, right? And so one, it's for us to realize where our own biases come from, right? The ways in which we look at people, look at young children or look at young people in general and think you would look so much better if you looked like this or if you had this or if you didn't have this. And actively respecting that this is how their faces and their body looks like and affirming that for them. So my sister's also like the darkest child right now. And so she doesn't always feel pretty. And I'm and all I can do is like, hey, look at this dark skin model. Isn't she gorgeous? Like, how do you feel about your body? And also like not just um not just shoving content into their faces, but checking in with their emotionality because a lot of their sense of self is also exacerbated by the people that they're hanging around with. How are your friends making you feel? And so I want to know what's happening in her life so that she feels comfortable telling me about everything, whether it's sexual, whether it's body-based. And so now we have a relationship where she feels any sort of way about her body, good or bad, she feels like she can come and tell me. She's asking herself questions about her identity. And sometimes she needs a soundboard. And so I am that soundboard. So willing to be soundboards for young children or like young people in general. So when a young person comes and tells you, I hate myself because whatever reason, not just jumping into how dare you hate yourself being re- realistic why why it's it's not horrible that they hate themselves it's horrible that they live in a system that profits off of that hatred right so it's not just a you know i think you're so beautiful yeah you can think they're beautiful all you want but if they don't think that then what you're saying doesn't really help so it's first acknowledging how they feel helping them talk through that emotion and allowing space for it so that they can come back to you again and tell you more. And with time, showing them, introducing things gradually that helps them challenge their own perceptions and biases about themselves. Oh, definitely. You know, I, um, 
I grew up in Colorado, which is an extremely white, 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 white place. And on top of that, like having an African father and a black American mother, but I don't often talk about it a lot, but it's so influential in my life is that I have an older sister and my older sister is half white. So before my mom married my father, she had my sister. We grew up in the same household, but she's nine years older. So she basically moved out when I was nine and she was 18. So, but my mother never had discussions with her, like about my sister's um, identity, about her father, about our differences. And so it was always kind of this weird elephant in the room. But then I'm seeing my sister who's half white, biracial, like having all of these sexual relationships, like being really popular in high school, always having male attention, and then seeing myself grow into a teenager and not having that, not getting that attention and being teased for being dark skinned and um, looking African because back then, you know, obviously, I mean, kid- <laughs> like, I, I know. you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it coming, of course, from other black children, obviously, because we, the self-hate is real. But um, so I just, you know, to this day, like, I feel like I well, yeah, I had to work through so much of always feeling like light skinned is better. And I think it's a lot of it is is because like my parents just didn't create this like discourse around like skin tones and like it just was like there, but it was never like spoken about and it's just I don't know it's just so interesting because my sister and I we love each other so much and she's always like I love your skin and and all of this stuff but there just was never this conversation between us or with my mother and I'm just like man if she if she would have just gotten really candid about it and even if her relationship with my sister's father failed which it did and they don't have a relationship I wish she just would have like had that difficult discussion with her daughters and and just talking really openly about the situation about instead of ignoring it because that doesn't do shit you know um so I and now my niece who's 13 and I hear her saying things now like she doesn't want to get darker like she doesn't want to be in the sun to get darker and I'm just like oh my gosh it's just like where do we even start with that you know because it's like you said even if we're just like oh you're why don't you want to get dark and you know I find myself getting defensive when she says things like that because I want to be like what do you mean like dark is so beautiful because I get offended because I'm like here is someone that you love in your life who's really dark skin but she doesn't even understand how those comments that she's saying could could hurt other people right um and so like you said it's 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 not just about saying like oh black is beautiful or etc but it's really about like dissecting and being really I think frank about why dark for some people isn't beautiful and and educating on the history of things that essentially that right i think that if if i were you in that moment i'd i'd also be like yes i hear that you don't want to be dark but then also sometimes we treat children like they're too young to understand or they're too young to process certain things and so i'd say well you think i'm gorgeous right or what, what do you think about me do you think i'm too dark and then she'd probably say, no, that's that's your skin tone. So then asking or challenging, then why do you think, what, what do you think would happen if you became darker? Or why would that change? If you understand that I look this way and there's nothing wrong with me, why is being in the sun bad for you? You know? So that way it's not even, you're not even having a conversation of, oh, don't you think I'm beautiful? Or don't you see how beautiful black is? It's a more so Ask yourself twice why you thought it was important to say this. Yes. And if you need to, we can come back to it later. But just right now, think think about what you said. 
because that's what like young people do right they don't always think before they don't have fully formed thoughts before they say and i think that's like such a good thing and a bad thing because they speak so freely often Uh and so we can we get to challenge that and that's one of the things that i love about being educated just being able to bring doubt into what they thought was truth Mm. I love that because I do you like you said they do speak so freely so I never want to stifle where that thought comes from or that you know the the impetus for anything that they say I don't want to ever make them feel like they can't just freely say what's on their mind but definitely a lot more times honestly sometimes more than my adult friends my niece has said things that I'm just like huh <laughs> like she really makes me question a lot of shit and I'm like it's because she just like there's like a naivete that honestly like serves for great discourse (laughs) oh to be young (laughs) yes I know to be young again my gosh (laughs) so well I think that this was such an incredible conversation we started off from Polly we moved to masturbation into rearing the next generation it was it was important it was meant to be um but I want to thank you so much for giving your time because I know time although we have a lot of time right now it's also like time is extremely precious as well in this moment so I appreciate you for getting on and having this really important conversation and being open about just how you're navigating something really diff- I don't know that I would do with so much grace. <laughs> oh, don't worry. There's nothing graceful about this. I fell so many times. It's not even cute anymore. <laughs> but thank you. Thank you so much for having me because there, there is no guidebook for being in relationships, whether monogamous or otherwise. And like you said, this time has definitely challenged everything that we thought was okay in our ships. And we come out of this hopefully with new insight, whatever happens. Dope. I think that's that's a great place to end it for everyone is that may we come out of this situation with much insight, with more <laughs> insight, with infinite insight into all of our relationships, whether that's with ourselves or with other people, our coworkers, whatever that means. I hope that we come out with more insight and more knowledge. Do you want to drop any last words or gems on where people can find your work or what you're up to? Anything that you want to close us out with? Uh, I am currently on the social media sphere at dammit underscore Oscar. Find me there. Um, Yeah, that's pretty much it. I hope everyone thrives and not just survives during this time because at the end of it, we have work to do. Yeah. So, well, thank you for joining us. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Catch us every Wednesday, and we'll see you next time. Peace. Bye. Bye.